Malcolm Holmline is uh, in Israel, which always makes our segment even more significant. And he is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 740 a.m. Eastern time here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. And we will talk again about what's going on in this very quiet and uneventful world. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of describing it, to say the least. Well, this week, of course, yesterday we observed and we had a uh, we had a special on the air for Yom HaShoah. So let's start with some of the uh, the themes of Yom HaShoah. First of all, I didn't realize that uh, March of the Living seems to be back and uh, and pretty strong. I don't know how the numbers did, but post-COVID, it looks like that educational experience has returned. It has returned, and it, it, it's a remarkable event, and I participated many years in the past. This year, I conflicted with the, this trip that I'm on, which is uh, an advancement of the Mediterranean Initiative that we began 10 years ago, uh, together with the Greek-American uh, leadership, and we'll talk about that if uh, we have a minute later. Uh, but the March of Living, I saw the it very emotional this year, and especially because of the Separation that people didn't have uh, the march for, for a couple of years and the uh, events in, in Ukraine, I think, underscore and have reminded a lot of people. And my sense is, and I'm be interested whether you match this, my sense is that people this year marked Yom HaShoah with much greater uh, intensity than for many years that I remember. I think people feel that they've been reminded uh, of it by the events in uh, the Ukraine, but also because of the rise of anti-Semitism, many other factors that uh, made it much more of a focus of activity and attention. Well, I agree with you on that. Uh, and then you just brought up the anti-Semitic hate crimes that uh, have been reported here in the United States, especially in the New York area. And in, in light of Yom HaShoah, I wanted to get your, your comment on that because... Uh, you know, we we are, it seems that we are experiencing many things of the past now in New York and other major cities in the United States, um, and, and certainly we're reliving whether it's the inflation or whether it's the uh, uh, the war type the wartime feeling that many get as they watch what's going on in the Ukraine, uh, etc. A lot of things are being relived. We don't want to relive uh, the great anti-Semitic activities of the past, but it seems that based on the reports and based on the data and the numbers, especially in the New York area, uh, we are experiencing those types of episodes and incidents at an alarming rate. What is your reaction to that in light of what you just said about Yom HaShoah? Well, as you know, after uh, years, I've been telling people in my speeches and uh, I say to them, ask a survivor, what they hear, what they see, what they smell from the events that are going on now. And inevitably, with everyone that I raise, they say this is a, a story, this is a drama that we saw before. And the, the um, significance should not be lost on people. It's not to say that this is not this is 1938. What we see, that, or 39, what we see is the indifference of the world, of the tolerance for anti-Semitism. It is true now 25 states have come out in support of and, and adopted the International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition of anti-Semitism, which many people may not understand is very significant because you can't fight it if you can't define it, if you can't identify it. The IRA definition with its examples 
uh, gives you gives the framework to hold to account those who violate it, those who engage in anti-Semitic activities of all kinds, including anti-Israel activities, not criticism of policies, but um, you know, denying Israel's right to exist. There's some of the activities we see on campus, etc. And hundreds of universities, associations, sports teams, others have also adopted it. And we are pushing for state legislatures and others to uh, to do the same because of the significance in, in trying to address this very sharp increase, 400% increase this year. The statistics that came out this past week, both from ADL, from the, the center at Tel Aviv University and others, show this, uh, the uh, increase, the double-digit increases, is almost a un- universal phenomenon. And it comes in so many ways. It's physical assaults, it's attacks, it's universities, it uh, happens in high schools and elementary schools with Holocaust denial, with persecution of, of Jewish students, and with the failure of those in authority to act decisively. We do see more people speaking out against it. We do see people, non-Jews, reacting and, and rejecting anti-Semitism. And I think that we have to be more assertive in what we demand of those in authority and those who hold positions, whether in in all the areas that influence, especially young people, but all people, whether it's in sports or entertainment or in the media or in in education or in, in government or in judiciary, that they have to hold to account those who commit these acts and to speak out. And it's non Jews who have to take responsibility. We're the victims, not the perpetrators. And therefore, while we have to speak out as well, the onus really should fall on those who are not Jewish and who can help uh, put this you know, evil back under the rocks. We're never going to cure it. We're never going to take this cancer and excise it from society. But we can do a lot to make it unacceptable, to make it clear that those who engage in this practice, as in all forms of bigotry and racism, will be cut off from society, from support, and, you know, the consequences of it. The incitement that takes us to Jerusalem that of the past few weeks is blatantly anti-Semitic. It's not, it's not just against Israel. It's against Israel's right to exist. It's against Zionism. It's against all. But it goes far beyond it. And, the, you know, today is Iranians' Al-Quds Day, which they're marking all over the country of Iran. And inciting people here in Jerusalem to uh, to take up the, this uh, the, uh, the uh, noting this day and taking up events which they want violence yeah. even though both their people and Arabs will suffer get back to the Israel piece in a second I want to focus on what uh, a word you used uh, just now in regard to the uh, hate crimes and, and anti-semitic crimes story and that's universal uh, many times we uh, especially in the New York area we become, uh, you know, obviously focused on on what's in our backyard, and where we certainly are wary of it. Um, what we don't realize sometimes is what, you, as you just described, it's going on everywhere, and in so many different fora, and we have to keep that in mind. Uh, I don't know if this is a direct. Um, uh, if this is a question that I'm asking because we are addressing this topic right now, but it sort of feels like many people out there feel it might be. So I'll ask you, what did you think of the results? in the uh, French election this week, uh, especially as it relates to the Jewish community? Well, it was a complicated election, and the outcome is probably good as a rejection 
of the extremist ideologies represented by um, uh, uh, represented by the opposition forces. It's not just her. It, it, it is. Um, 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 it's much more. But realize, number one, those who extol that uh, realize that she, they they still got forty percent of the vote. Uh, Le Pen and the the uh, extreme rightist is described, although I think it's it's somewhat unfair that there is a reaction to the to the incidents in society to violence. Uh, I spoke to Jews there who said that they were conflicted because they wanted to send a message to Macron that it wasn't acceptable, and maybe the first round did that. That you know the the tolerance of anti-Semitism that we saw with the murder from Halimi on. And the uh, you know the influx of uh, people from Muslim countries and the the uh, lawlessness that that uh, seems to be pretty rampant there. Certainly, the sharp increase in anti-Semitism that that by the way in amongst these studies shows France again very bad. Um, that there, there was a reaction to it. And they want to send a message. Uh, I think in the second election oh, and the turnout was much lower. They people then voted for. Um, to make you know, not to make a statement, but for what they really want the government to be. But I think you see, you will see this phenomenon in many other countries in Europe and elsewhere, including our own country, because people don't want to see the borders open. They don't want to see, uh, you know, the rise of crime, which is again universal across the country. It's in every sector of of the United States, including in New York. And for Jews, particularly, there isn't a day when we don't have. Incidents reported to us on and off campus in communities, young people being victimized, older people in every form possible from subways to school or classrooms. 100%. And this is me and what you just described in terms of uh, this wave or, or, or this switch or shift. Uh, this is in the aftermath of what you've already told us is happening in South America because that shift has already happened there, right? And there it's on a national level, meaning that we're seeing the changes in the governments that they are, we, we've seen anti-Semitic statements by Vice uh, President in Costa Rica, we saw it in, in Chile, we see it in other countries where there were provisional governments that were replaced uh, and or governments that had close ties to the Jewish community. And now it's, it's uh, almost without exclusion across the continent that we are seeing the, the positive or moderate forces being replaced by extremists, but mostly very left with Iran's fingerprints throughout and uh, and others, but Iran in particular through Venezuela and uh, its cohort countries, Cuba. Um, it's it's very disturbing, and nobody seems to be taking it seriously. Back to Israel now. Uh, so you mentioned what's happening in Iran, and uh, you mentioned what's happening in terms of uh, the riots going on. Uh, in Israel and these anti-Semitic acts, and it shouldn't be defined in any other way other than anti-Semitism. We keep hearing about rocks that are being thrown at buses and obviously what's going on on the Temple Mount. First of all, just in terms of a practical, uh, because the last Friday of Ramadan and you're in Israel, uh, do we know what type of escalation there was on the Temple Mount today? No, I was uh, actually at meetings in Tel Aviv with uh, government officials. But I, I will tell you that you sit here. We drove around. We came in. We didn't see anything on the streets, not along the old city walls, not nothing. And you know the truth is that it is a very small percentage of people who engage in this. There's incitement. 
that is coming from official sources like Iraq, like Qatar. There are um, uh, religious sources and imams who, who preach uh, violence. But the actual numbers who are involved, when you're talking about 50,000 people coming um, to the Temple Mount almost every day, and, now, and today it was expected that it would be 200,000, it's only uh, a minute percentage that participate. But then you see the rallies and support and uh, some of the government condemnations, especially you know, disappointment with with Jordan's reaction. We know that it's a play to the, you know, the two thirds of uh, Jordan's population are Palestinians. That the government, you know, on the one hand is cooperating and working with Israel on security related issues, but on the other hand, joins in these public condemnations and threatening and saying Israel should not be. Um, you know, uh, on the Temple Mount, and they don't want Jews to pray. I mean, it's outrageous that that uh, one place in the world where Jews can't pray and it's accepted is at our holiest site. Yeah. And the, you know, I understand the sensitivity of the government, and I think they should do whatever is violence. But you know, there are principles that have to be established. Unfortunately, when people started the rumors, you know, that they wanted to do uh, an actual sacrifice, those kind of things feed the extremists and, and their uh, propaganda network. But I hope Hello? Malcolm? Oh, problem. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. Yep, now we hear you. Yeah, that, that they're promulgating uh, lies. Israel allows full religious, full freedom of worship. The only ones who aren't free to worship there are Jews, but for the Muslims, it's full. That the so many of the stories are total distortions of the reality, and you know how people can tell. Malcolm, I'll ask you: How can you tell whether somebody's up there to pray or to create violence? <laughs> I, I assume by the way they you know act. how. How look at the shoes? <laughs> if somebody is in a mosque wearing shoes, he ain't there to pray. Good point. Because they take off the shoes to pray. But you saw that all these young people didn't take off their shoes. They were going to get the rocks and stuff that were uh, stored up there. And they've been preparing it for a long time. And and they had uh, other, you know, these fireworks that people, you know, said to me, oh, what's fireworks? They're, they're lethal. You fire, you shoot a firework at a, at a policeman or a, a civilian or some other person. It's deadly. There, you can kill them. Sure, of course. <clears throat> but if you look at the of them going into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you see they're wearing their shoes. So they were just going in to get the rocks and throwing them, and they did throw over the side of the hotel today in the morning, but the police have been reacting, and I think the police have done a great job. They really prepared. This is not something that caught them by surprise. I've met with some of the heads of the key security agencies of the last 24 hours, and you know they know exactly, and, and there is outside interference, uh, and they're, you know, people are very concerned and they're looking at steps about how do you deal with those, if they're Israeli Arabs or those uh, Arabs who live in, you uh, know, or anywhere else where they're coming from. Israel tried to keep it open. Israel did everything to be flexible. And yet you see them being accused. And even countries that joined the Abraham Accords joining the chorus of condemnation. It's America. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at AchimSiegel.com and the AchimSiegel Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. 
Malcolm Holmline's with us. Explain the Jordan uh, piece to this. Do they always play this game of trying to uh, you know, satisfy both sides? Because I, I thought they were pretty, uh, pretty peaceful and undemanding in the recent past about the uh, future of the Temple Mount, but they became very vocal over the last few days. And the answer to all parts of what you said is yes. <laughs> and, and although there would appear to be contradictory, you know, nothing in the Middle East is contradictory. It's all, you can say, and, and the two opposite things, and both will be true. And it's been true that there is cooperation. And I will tell you, the ongoing cooperation between Jordanian security and Israeli security is remarkable. It's positive, it, and it's in both countries' interests. I mean, Jordan needs Israel greatly, and, and Israel does a lot to help Jordan from providing it with water to security and other areas of cooperation. Uh, but uh, Jordan also uh, plays to the street, and the, the street incitement in, in the country is very great. Uh, and as I said, it has a majority uh, Palestinian population. And they, um, so they, you know, the, the criticism is done with sort of wink and nod. The problem is that the damage is done. Yeah. The point I keep making, yeah. you know, you can explain away what Jordan does, but it's a headline, even in the Jerusalem Post today, and the world sees it, and they say, oh, well, Jordan, you know, moderate king, et cetera, et cetera, and he's already there. He wants to protect his position, Jordan's position, as as uh, controlling the waqf, which is in control of the Temple Mount. Others are pretenders to it, so the Arabia, Morocco, other descendants of Muhammad believe that they should be part, and some, I think Morocco heads the committee the organization uh, of his, uh, the OIC, uh, Islamic countries um, portfolio on uh, on Jerusalem. Uh, but Jordan wants to protect its position there. And as you know, the, the, the king gilded the top of the, the mosque and uh, did other things uh, as a demonstration of their commitment. Uh, so he, uh, the king and his government, and there are forces in the government who are fairly extreme, uh, you know, have to uh, are walking a tightrope, as they say. But I think that we have to hold them to account for what they say publicly. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we don't understand it. It means that we can't tolerate it, right. that we can't accept it, because the world doesn't see all the nuances. And we should mention that all this is going on as uh, as uh, more border activity than we are aware of is happening along the borders of Israel, whether it's Israel and Gaza, whether it's Israel and Lebanon, uh, all, and, of course, uh, all the internal things that we just talked about. Uh, all this is going on at the same time. Now, I don't know what the U.N. reaction was specifically um, aimed at. I don't know if it was aimed at the border clashes or what's going on in Jerusalem, but there was a call for calm from both sides. Now, I know you and I have spoken about this a million times because this is how the U.N. always reacts, but I think it's important to remind the audience that uh, even though Israel is certainly not the aggressor in any of these cases. Still, the UN reacts in the way that they do, and it's always even-handed. Quote even-handed, except that it's not even-handed. That the condemnation uh, against Israel is not warranted and not justified. And you see the resolutions being introduced in the UN. Uh, thank God, the US and others uh, don't support it. Right. But uh, you know, even the statements that come out of State Department are always this even-handed. You know, both sides should exercise control. Yes, yeah, so well, both sides. Have a responsibility. That's true, but the, the but the exercise that responsibility. When the police react, they react with such restraint. I mean, would you imagine in any other country this would go on, and the police would allow the services to continue after they started rioting because they wouldn't interfere with it, 
in the, in the mosque and waited afterwards, even though it becomes more difficult as they progress. In. And you see how organized it was. It, that these are not as the media and others presented, you know, just happenstance or just a spontaneous reaction. It's not that at all. And you can trace a lot of the reaction. Now the report is that Jordan helped stimulate it because they have to be able to assert more control. They want Israel off. I don't know that that's true. And, and I'm sure others will, will uh, this will be researching. Uh, I would not be surprised if it comes out that it isn't uh, uh, true, but that the statements were still disturbing. There are other sources, especially Iran, sometimes Turkey, and certainly Qatar, and they incite the, the Islamic State and, and uh, other groups, and they get to the young people, and I'm also asserting that I bet many of them got paid to do this. And you saw that the you know the violence that preceded it, that the Israelis who were killed in the in the acts of violence. But you also saw a father call up and and call the police and say his daughter's going out to kill somebody, get her because they don't want it. Unbelievable. Uh, since I brought it up, what can you tell us about the rocket fire and the engagement with Lebanon and the uh, and what's going on the, between Israel and, and on the Gaza border at the moment? Right. So it's very important, and you're right to, to, to go back to it because uh, it's not getting the attention. We know that there were several rockets fired. We don't believe they were, uh, or the experts don't believe that it was Hezbollah. It was probably Hamas, which is trying to assert itself there, or uh, or another group, but most likely Hamas, which has now created a presence in the northern border, as they have in um in Gaza, they are funded by Iran and provided weapons. And, you know, Israel has, we used to say 150,000. I, I heard estimates of 200,000 plus rockets of all kinds of missiles and mortars surrounding it. And some of them with precision guided uh, systems. Hezbollah, uh, it seems that Hamas in Gaza does not want a war right now. They, they're still reconstructing and they know the price that will be paid. Israel struck back at the firing of a rocket because they're holding Hamas as the power in charge, accountable for what happens, even if it's, let's say, not a Hamas um, a terrorist itself, but certainly things that they can do. They know how to hold people to account when they want to. And so driving the message, and they hit, by the way, underground storage systems and uh, tunnels, which they continue to build, they, but many of them are built not to cross the border into Israel, but for storage, for maneuverability, to be able to maneuver when, uh, if there is a war or something underground and not be detected. And there are those, there's still attempts to do cross-border uh, uh, tunnels. But Iran is continuing to provide them with technology and they are developing guidance systems so that the rockets that they fire will have um, greater accuracy and also they're looking for longer range. Uh, Israel obviously uses their dome what's necessary and the big focus of the last couple of weeks has been on the uh, testing of a laser response uh, and you know when you fire Iron Dome, it costs. Uh, you usually have to fire two for each rocket. It costs you about a hundred thousand dollars. It costs Israel a hundred thousand dollars. When you to take down a, a rocket that costs five hundred or a thousand dollars to make, in with the laser, it'll cost two hundred dollars to take down a five hundred thousand dollar rocket. So you, you you change the economy. It will enable them to take down many more rockets. Uh, at the same time, because, you know, Iron Dome has limited capacity, as effective as it is, and, and David Sling and the other systems as well. 
Uh, move on to Russia versus the Ukraine. Um, uh, what do you make of the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State uh, trips from the United States uh, to Ukraine this week? And also, um, uh, why do you think it took so long for Russia to decide to halt the gas supplies to Poland? So uh, well, let's take the first the, um, the question of the gas supplies. Well, number one, they lose the income for Russia, the income from the sale of oil and gas is very important. It is this their major source of, of income. As you know, that Russia, not Saudi Arabia, is the biggest exporter of oil in, in the world. And with the price of oil up so high, uh, they are a major beneficiary, and they need it because their other sources of income have been cut. You know, because of sanctions, because of the war, et cetera, plus the burden of the war, they they need to continue to export in order to to have the income. Uh, second, they don't want to see Europe move to, away from dependency on their oil and gas because after the fighting is over, et cetera, they won't come back because they'll find alternative means. As we know, during boycotts and other things, that people create other sources and resources um, to, uh, to compensate. So I think he he, waited. he also knew that it would be provocative action. Uh, and didn't know exactly how others would react to it. Now we see countries like Germany beginning to provide weapons. They all didn't do it for for this time. And, you know, nobody talks about it, but most of the Asian countries, others, have never condemned Russia, have never gotten involved. Israel gets beaten up by everybody in the world saying, you haven't done enough, you haven't done enough, when they did much more than all the countries that are complaining about it. You know, Israel has taken in probably by now close to 20,000 people, the majority of them not Jewish, and planning to take in tens of thousands of Jews from Russia, Belarus, and certainly Ukraine, and and engaging in policies to open the doors, whether they're efficient or not, is another matter. And also sent hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment, including the hospital, the mobile hospital that they sent uh, to Ukraine, whereas 24 Asian countries never made a comment on it and are not getting involved, even don't even send humanitarian aid. And Jews around the world have reacted uh, very generously, et cetera, to, to, this, uh, to the humanitarian uh, needs in the country. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is a terrible situation. It's very complex. It will be good if it's over. You know, countries are suffering food supplies. The whole world food crisis will be exacerbated terribly. A country like Egypt gets 80% of its wheat from Ukraine. People don't think about it. But what does CC do? And then he could find out if there's a shortage of bread, you get the streets to become active again and people rebel regardless of whether it's the government's fault or not. But they hold them accountable. And so it can be very destabilizing in in a, a, a lot of ways. I think the visit was very important uh, to show the flag, and and you know it takes away an area that they criticized that they didn't come. And after uh, German officials others started visiting, I think they're showing the flag and showing support to um, to, the, to the people of Ukraine, which I think is the most important. Uh, and I think you know we have to understand that we don't want to poke. Putin in the eye and, and get him just to escalate the violence because, you know, pride to them is very important and, and national pride and the, um, you know, people don't know whether he is suffering from something. He looks a little distorted and you see the pictures in the puffed up face, etc. So we don't know exactly what the circumstances are, but 
clearly he, he, he was betrayed by his generals and the army's performance and the number of dead is, uh, on the Russian side is very high. And they seem now to become more aggressive and whether this will be the full court press and everybody said by first week in May, we'll, we'll begin to see it. Well, it's certainly proving to be true. And uh, now we'll have to wait and see. But I think the international community's response has to be strong and the economic sanctions have to be strong uh, if in no other, for no other reason than to delimit what uh, Russia can do. I think it's also a message that, you know, Russia is to a degree a paper tiger. When it, it took over the Crimea, we didn't do anything. The West didn't do anything. It took over Donbass and other areas and, and other provocations. Uh, question is, what lessons China learns from it? What kind of new aggressions will we see? Whether others will will start to test the international system. Uh, you're in Israel. I'm, I'm just reminding everybody that Malcolm Homeland is in Israel this week. And I say it like that because, and you said you met with some government officials, and I and I get all the um, the sacrifices and the gestures um, uh, that Israel has made toward the people of the Ukraine. Uh, I was going to mention the the supply of the helmets and vests to the Ukrainian rescue services, and you of course mentioned mm-hmm. a whole, whole bunch of other ones. But I, I just I, I I wonder how how thin a line Israel is walking. In other words, to me. Uh, I, I would say it might be easier for them to take the approach of the other 20-some Asian countries that you mentioned, uh, you know, have not made any type of commitment whatsoever to humanitarian aid to Ukraine. How does Putin view this? Does Israel get a sour response from Putin or any type of uh, of, of, of um, criticism from Russia because they are taking an active role or because Israel's really, you know, their role is always humanitarian aid. Uh, it, it wouldn't be proper. Or, or Putin would think it would be worthless to, you know, to to show some type of negative feeling toward Israel for doing it. Well, he has been critical, and as you know, in the UN, he criticized Israel for the treatment of Palestinians, which they have not done in the same way. And um, he's clearly uh, striking bad against some of the comments that were made by government officials. Uh, you know, in the initial reactions and the taking out Jews and doing all those other things, I think they they understood. And I'm, I know that, um, well, you know, Bennett communicated with them, Prime Minister Bennett, and was used uh, as an inter, uh, force, a interim source um, to uh, carry on messages back and forth. I don't think it was a negotiator as much as a conduit and uh, had the ability to reach both sides. The... Um, but the, I think that they felt that when uh, Prime Minister Lapid, for instance, came out with a very strong condemnation after Israel already acted, uh, he responded to that. And very few countries, and most of those Asian countries, do not have the justification that Israel would have that Israel has a direct confrontation line with, with Russia in Syria. And that Syria can uh, shift things by allowing um, uh, the use of uh, anti-aircraft more to limit Israel's ability to respond to the shipments of weapons which continue by Iran into the uh, into Syria, and Israel continues to react to it. Uh, that uh, Russia does not want to see Iran become stronger or bigger, but Russian but Iranian militia are filling the void left by the removal of some of this Russian troops from uh, Syria, and it, th- those positions are being filled by uh, Iranian uh, Iran and their um, multitudes of militia, both Hezbollah, but also the people they recruit from Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., 
and and place them in um, in units inside Syria. Some within embedding them inside Syrian army units to to avoid detection, and in some cases they operate as independent uh, militia. So for Israel, uh, you know, uh, Putin has options to punish them and to to make their life much more difficult. Uh, the communication between uh, Putin and, and uh, Prime Minister Bennett and others has continued all along. And I don't think he's looking to be vindictive. I don't think he wants to open up a frontier. I do think that, you know, he um, is angered by some of the things that uh, that took place, some of the responses. But Israel also has a moral obligation. And, you know, this Yom HaShoah reminds us um, that a world that becomes, that tolerates inhumane behavior, everybody becomes a victim, and therefore Israel feels it's a direct responsibility to speak out and against inhumanity, against barbarism, and, and against um, these forces, but it has to be in a measure and a way that is both productive and constructive for Israel, uh, you know, more than almost any of these other countries uh, doesn't face that faces immediate potential consequences. Europe does too with the cutoff potential cutoff of, of of oil and gas. But remember that that is cutting off your nose to spite your face mm-hmm. for Russia because they need that money. They need the income, and especially now. So it. Um, very complex situation for, that's, for Israel. That's for sure. Um, uh, what do you what, what do you know? I know we only have a minute here, but what do you know about the death threats to the prime minister? And I, I mean, I don't think we ever heard stories like this before. And now it seems to be happening multiple times. Well, I don't think it was multiple times, but they, they, now there was a bullet sent uh, one to him and, and against his son. Um, I know that the. The head of some of the security agencies uh, told us that they condemned it in very strong terms and said that, you know, this is, um, it, it, I don't think it's a threat to the uh, fundamental democracy of Israel, but the fact that people vent their anger and stuff in that way is, is unacceptable, and I'm sure they will catch those who were responsible. Um, but people, you know, get frustrated because they saw what happened during in the May Intifada, where Israeli Arabs engaged in some uh, very hostile actions. They saw, they have seen some, even some Jews engaging in activities, which they feel cross the line of, of what is legitimate expression of dissent and and or advocacy. Uh, but. I would say that Israel's democracy is intact. It's healthy. But, you know, the government has been out. The Knesset has been out because of the um, of the holiday now. Because uh, I mean, they have a Knesset holiday so much longer than Pesach, and they come back next week. So we will start seeing a lot of activity, and we don't know whether the government can sustain. Right now, it looks like it's still well. They can function at sixty votes and even fifty nine if the, if the opposition can't mount a majority to vote a uh, vote of no confidence. But that, too, will be, I think, destabilizing this whole uh, process of the government, you know, potentially falling. So you don't, you, it cripples the ability to pass legislation and for fulfilling uh, policies and issues. Israel has, you know, like the rest of the world, impacted by the economic conditions that uh, strain uh, the, the um 
the economies of many countries. Yep, I hear that. Uh, enjoy Israel, and thanks so much for joining us. Next week, of course, uh, Yom HaZikaron is Wednesday, Yom HaTzmud, Israel's 74th birthday is Thursday, and we hope to speak on Friday, please, God. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, Malcolm, and we'll speak next week. Great Shabbos from beautiful Jerusalem. The weather is ideal, so for those who are thinking about it, come. The hotels uh, had a great Pesach, but we need to sustain it and to make sure that the streets of Jerusalem are full and that you get to see all the amazing things that are, are being discovered here and our past coming to life. Amen. Thanks so much. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.